Welcome to A Clinical Breath, respiratory insights from industry leaders. A Clinical Breath provides the community with the latest respiratory developments, trends, and expertise, all aimed at improving patient outcomes. Today's episode is brought to you by Monahan Medical Corporation. Monahan means it matters. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Opinions are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Monaghan Medical Corporation. Welcome to A Clinical Breath, Respiratory Care Insights from Industry Leaders. Today we have Gary Kaufman, and we're going to talk about healthcare waste. Give us an idea of how much waste there actually is in a hospital today is the most timely topic. If you talk to an executive or a consultant, their number one goal is to reduce the operating budget. So how can you do that without affecting quality, safety, patient engagement? It's eliminate waste. Study done just a few years ago and released by the Institute of Medicine estimated waste to be around 30%. Well, how much is that? That's about $900 billion. That's the entire healthcare system. So what does that mean for respiratory therapists? A large consulting company about five years ago published the amount in terms of dollars that were wasted through either overproduction, overordering in our case, services that weren't value added, and some other administrative complexity. And of all the departments in the hospital, respiratory therapy had the lowest number, but it was still $1.5 million of waste for a typical respiratory therapy department. So tell me what respiratory therapists can do in in general in terms of reducing waste in the hospital. Number one thing is apply science. We're trained as respiratory therapists to practice according to evidence-based medicine or evidence-based practice. And there's really three elements to that. The first is to use our clinical expertise Secondly, use the best available scientific evidence, and I'll talk a bit more about that. And the third part, this is a definition that just came about a few years ago. Do that in the context of the patient's values and expectations. So let's break that down. What is the respiratory therapist expertise? That is both the science that we were trained, the art of applying that science, that then is combined with the best available evidence. Well, what does that mean? It may mean that we don't have all of our therapeutics and diagnostics and rehab and life-saving interventions at that top level, N01 randomized control, but we don't want to practice at the bottom of that hierarchy, which is a simple clinical observation. So most of medicine and most of respiratory therapy is actually at that middle level of evidence. And I'll give you some examples of that. If you think about it, below that line, that's waste. So if we apply science by the clinical expert and do it according to the patient's values and expectations. So let's give an example. Patient's admitted on Monday, a COPD patient, and the physician orders Q4 breathing treatments. Seems appropriate. By Friday, when that patient's leaving, if we've not adjusted, if we've not assessed the patient and adjusted the modality and frequency, that patient may be leaving the hospital on Q4 breathing treatments. Some of those will go home 
with absolutely no breathing treatments at home. So we need to back that up and rather than have a prescriptive, unchanging order for frequency, to have the respiratory therapist apply the best science we have. And that could be a bronchopulmonary hygiene protocol. So Monday morning, using this example, that order for Q4 may be perfectly fine. But the second treatment, the therapist would look and reassess the patient according to breast sound, sputum, their color, their SpO2, put that in a clinical algorithm, which I might add is approved by the medical executive committee, and then adjust the frequency. So maybe by Wednesday, that patient who was deathly sick on Monday is now on BID and PRN treatment. The two areas of waste that we've reduced and in fact eliminated are the medications, the use of supplies, capital equipment, and the labor, the respiratory therapist time. And that's all predicated on using the best available evidence. That's interesting, Gary. I think we all get caught in that situation where uh, once it's ordered, that's what the patient gets for the entire time they're uh, in the hospital for their hospital stay. Could you give us another example uh, other than uh, an aerosol-type therapy that uh, would fall into this category? Yeah, I'll give you an example in the ICU. Back in the day when we trained, every open-heart patient that came out would get a blood gas when they came in the ICU, put them on a ventilator, perhaps every hour. And typically in those days, an open-heart patient might be on the ventilator two, three days. Now we all know it's usually two or three hours. But there are still orders in the system, blood gas every hour for that first 24 hours. So one of the ways we need to root out over-ordering is to look at orders, order sets, and protocols that may have inherent overproduction. Early in my career, we did not have reliable pulse oximetry. So we, in order to assess their oxygenation status or their pH or PCO2, you had to utilize a blood gas. Very expensive, painful to the patient, and it takes more time. Now, for those patients that you're just concerned about their oxygenation status, we use pulse oximetry. So we've saved materials, we've saved reagents, we've saved time, and most importantly, we've saved pain for the patient who doesn't need that at all. So along this line, where would a clinician go to learn more about how they could be more proactive in reducing waste in the hospital? Two areas. One, every hospital has either a performance improvement department or a person they have the specialty training to root out waste. And they're taught with lean Six Sigma black belts. Many hospitals have that individual. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'd even recommend that respiratory therapists consider getting that training because then you can lead your own department. But if you don't have that in your department, engage that lean Six Sigma black belt person. Say, well, put on some scrubs and go around with us and just observe what we do, how we do it, the equipment that we use, and our methodology. And inevitably, that skilled person in their world, like a skilled respiratory therapist in clinical respiratory care, they will be able to document waste. What some physicians um, have shown concern over is the electronic medical record, good for what it is, actually takes more time. Some would consider that waste of overproduction or movement, 
but the value in that electronic medical record is the data gathering and ability to abstract that data. So we have to be careful that we're looking at process waste, wasted labor, wasted motion. And the other category is doing things that don't add value. If we do something just because we want to uh, attain a certain productivity target, that's busyness. That's not effectiveness. And the three or four uh, versions of waste, one has four categories, six categories, seven categories, eight categories. What I'd even suggest is that we look at efficacy, and if we're practicing the art and science, waste will, be a, will not be a part of the equation anymore. So what are those ways we practice? I'll call them the five R's. The right care, right time, right quality, right cost, right provider. If you like, give you an example. COPD patient comes in Monday morning and they're very, very sick. They needed to be admitted. The physician wants a pulmonary function test in order to see their degree of disability, acuity, and also to prescribe their maintenance medications. We could do it Tuesday afternoon, but it wouldn't be a valid test because the patient is not steady state. We could do it Friday before they leave, or what the professionals suggest, let's have the patient come back to their physician, good thing anyway, and do the pulmonary function test at that time. So the right time is four to six weeks after discharge. It's the same test, the same labor, but doing it in the hospital would be a waste because the data that we get from it is not actionable. That's great information, and I know we have so much more to learn about uh, what we can do in the healthcare environment to, to reduce waste. And one more time, could you just repeat before we uh, conclude here the five R's? Sure. It is the right care, evidence-based medicine, at the highest level that we have, the right time, where, in, where should the procedure be done, hospital, outpatient, clinic, the right quality, the right cost, and by cost, the value of the intervention by the proper provider, in this case, the respiratory therapist. The five R's. I, I think that's how we eliminate waste. Excellent. Gary, this is really fascinating. Thank you so much for your time today. And hopefully we can talk about this again at another time. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to A Clinical Breath, respiratory insights from industry leaders. Brought to you by Monaghan Medical Corporation. Monaghan means it matters. Thanks for listening and tune in again for more respiratory-related topics.